Ladies and gentlemen, fine folks, welcome to another episode of the Worldcraft Club. I'm going to be hosting today. This is Seth, and with me is Marcus. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Seth? I'm doing really well. We have an exciting little episode today. We are trying a little bit of a new format. Tell us how you like it. This is going to be a little bit smaller, a little bit more uh, digestible maybe, and a little bit more focused in uh, both topic and tone. So let us know, absolutely let us know in the comments uh, on Facebook. If you're on Patreon, let us know on Patreon how you feel about this episode. We're really excited to get your feedback. So today's episode, as I said, is an exciting one. Marcus brought something up in a recent episode that we thought it would be a fantastic time to explore a little bit more. And that is the concept of Chekhov's gun. So for anybody who missed that episode, Chekhov's gun is a narrative device often used by writers. Chekhov was a short story writer. And it is a sort of a rule to keep in mind, if you will. So Marcus, you had brought it up in a recent episode. Can mm -hmm. you explain to us what Chekhov's gun is? Well, I think Anton Chekhov said it best himself. If you say in the first chapter that there's a rifle hanging on the wall, in the second or third chapter, it absolutely must go off. If it's not going to be fired, then it shouldn't be hanging there, unquote. The idea of it is that if it doesn't serve a purpose later on, then don't bother with it. And I can understand on his stance of being a short story writer. There's a lot of stuff that you have to cram in uh, and navigate in a shorter story, in a shorter length. And his stance on like cutting the fat. Mm -hmm. But it's also, it's, it's an interesting type of narrative and not just the short story. And it basically takes what seems to be an insignificant object and then makes it significant later on. And then it's just like, ah, that was there the whole time. It's like, oh, that's right, it was there. You know, it kind of gets, gets that pop when, you know, it gets returned. Yeah, and so in a longer story, in a novel or in um, a movie or something, you might say it was foreshadowing. Yes. Right, if you see something on the wall and then it's used later. Yeah. And this also sort of ties into a philosophy that we have talked about for world building specifically, because the question really comes down to, for our podcast, does this principle apply to world building? And so we want to talk about that a little bit more today. Mm -hmm. We have talked about in the past, not in, in these terms necessarily, but we've talked about in the past how a good rule of thumb for world building is if it's not important don't put it in. Mm -hmm. And partly, I think that's a means of combating bloat because sometimes yeah. you find worlds that are just so jam-packed with detail or, or sort of irrelevant features mm -hmm. that it really just sort of distracts from the experience of the world. Yeah. When, when you're coming into a world as a visitant, how do you feel about... about you know, the mountains in the distance, should they be built out or do you not really care? Well, it's, there's two, two, 
two answers to that question. Like I can I can appreciate the mountains for being there, but I do I have gone. I have experienced that, like, I find something interesting, and I'm like, ooh, what is that cool thing? I hope I hear about it later, and they never come back to it, or the credits roll, and, oh, yeah. you know, and then they're like, but is no one talking about that thing? I really yeah. thought that was going to come back. Uh, I had it recently, but I can't, I can't, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember exactly it. Uh, what it was but no it was that it was just like oh that's a cool detail and then nobody they they didn't come back it's to just it never I thought, brought up yeah and i thought they like they they missed an opportunity yeah. you know with that from bringing it up i'm like you brought it up why don't why don't you use it that's so interesting because one of the real challenges as a world builder is you don't necessarily know where your visitant is going to look mm-hmm. right when somebody enters your world it can be really hard unless you're on on hard rails like some people build that way where you can only look in a specific direction Mm -hmm. and movies are a great uh actually they typically are pretty good in this regard a movie world Mm -hmm. tends to be really tight because everything in the shot is intentional right writing can be this way as well where everything that you write you put in like the author puts in But I feel like TTRPGs really have this problem where there's all these details that are thrown into the world. The party goes running after the cat in the alley. (laughs) Absolutely. And not the quest giver. (laughs) Yeah. The shopping cart or whatever. Exactly. You know, totally. You're walking by and you, and your GM describes the scruffy looking vagrant sitting on the corner. And then all of a sudden everybody decides that he must be the evil mastermind you know, because there was a scruffy looking vagrant on a different corner in the city. Yeah. And inadvertently, the these small details get latched onto. Yeah. So you ran a game for us for a long time, mm-hmm. for me and for James and some of our other friends. And, and I remember doing that to you. Oh, yeah? It, Which one was it? So, <laughs> Which so part? I feel like there were all sorts of pieces where you had built out these these sort of impressive impressive backstories and set pieces and then we're over there being coming up with theories for how you know all of these different pieces fit together a lot of them probably completely crazy and (laughs) it was was uh, amusing (laughs) and we had a great time with it Mm -hmm. so did you ever get into a situation as a gm where you were just like you know what screw it that's the detail like the players said something, I guess that's canon now. I did a couple of times later in the campaign because uh, when we started, I was still rather new at the time. And then years later and, you know, doing other games. This was a seven year game, by the way. Yeah, like seven or eight year. Uh, a child was born. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> in, children were born. Were, yeah. in Multiple children. Yeah. So... You know, there were times where, you know, you picked up on a detail on the side, came up with a crazy theory, and I'm just like, internal face palm was like, no, that's not how it goes, because I spent so much time Mm -hmm. making what's happening in the background just so, which is a different style of, of GMing for TTRPGs. The other style is, yeah, whatever details they bring up, and somebody has like, oh, I wonder what's about that. And then the GM makes a mental note. It's like, oh, I'm going to bring that to the forefront. And then basically right. 
creates a Chekhov's gun right there and then because yeah. somebody pointed it out. And I tried to do that towards the end because I thought then that was pretty cool because I knew mm-hmm. the payoff for the players. But the few times that I did, like even fewer got realized and the rest weren't explored. Interesting. I was like, I was like, okay, you know, they think, they think Mirage is in the air and I gave the hint not yet. And then somebody, a character came by and meant like pulled uh, one of the one of the main characters assigns like, hey, uh, oh, do you, do you want to know information about the the v- for, oh, oh yeah 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 let's let's go let's go okay you guys you know have fun I'll be over here and nobody like thought the word was the wiser I'm like well I well we're running out of time we got to get this thing moving <laughs> just just like whatever so really you're talking about the difficulty of breadcrumbing right mm-hmm. so so Chekhov's gun is an interesting principle because it says that anything that shows up or anything that that gains a person's attention the visitant's attention Mm -hmm. and again it's worth mentioning that Chekhov you know was a short story author like Mm -hmm. he wrote short stories and like you said that format is very concise and so he can't waste space right but Chekhov's gun is really just an advanced form of breadcrumbing it leaving a trail of details that will eventually lead somewhere right and depending on the medium those details need be more obvious than others yeah and in ttrpgs specifically when you're building a world if you want oh man if you want the players to realize something or rather Mm -hmm. if you want the players to realize what you want them to realize, you have to just mm-hmm. throw it at their head, right? It has mm-hmm. to be right up front and in their face because they will realize something. But in my experience, and I've been playing TTRPGs for for goodness, years and years, mm-hmm. uh, probably almost 20 years now. Man, I feel old. Um, <laughs> anyway, they will realize something, right? Mm-hmm. It won't be the thing you wanted them to realize. Right. And I have to say, as a player who has always appreciated coming up with the crazy theories around the table, yeah, it is a balancing act for a GM, because I've sat on that side of the table as well quite a bit. Um, it's, a, it's a balancing act for a GM to really figure out how to introduce something in the beginning and then have that cool payoff later on yeah. in the story. So... In a previous episode, we talked about how a good rule of thumb is that if something is not important, don't even bring it up in your world. And in part, this, this principle of, of really, you know, everything needs to have some sort of importance is to give your world um, a sense of cohesion, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have any details that are sort of floating out in space. And I wanted to bring up a system that, we, Marcus, we played together called Numenera. Yeah. Right? Because this system, to some extent, flies in the face of what I'm talking about. (laughs) So for anybody who's not familiar, Numenera is a role-playing system that where the world setting is really far in the future. And so there's, there's a lot of technology but nobody knows what the technology does because of a number of cataclysms that have happened yeah civilization has risen and fallen several times over already 
Yeah, and it's sort of predicated on this idea that sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. A key component of the system is that the players will, throughout their journey, stumble across pieces of technology or oddities that yeah. they can figure out how to use without necessarily knowing the effects or how it actually works. Yeah. Depending on how they, they're described, it will it'll be like, it was like a bunch of orbs that seem to be like attached to each other and they're connected in a ring formation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're trying to figure out what, are these like strange orbs but like if you think about it it's just like a magnet bracelet right you know but it's forcing you to look at it through a different lens and basically then be that i guess uh to the topic the player has the gun and decides how they want to fire it because it could be just a trinket that they have or sell off or they're like oh wait I think I can make it behave like this because there's a bunch of di- d- bunch of different oddities in that system. Absolutely, and it's just they're described like like that. They're they're not just like oh it's a magnet bracelet, oh it's a microwave. It's like oh it's this box, you know, and that that has seems to have a panel and flashing glyphs on the side or whatever. Right, and, and when you and when you, you know. put food in it, it heats up. <laughs> they explode, yeah, <laughs> or something. Right? Yeah, you it's know, like, oh, put... I'm gonna put this over somebody's head <laughs> or something. I don't you, know. you put metal in, you know, it, what, and it explodes. Going into this, you and I wanted to figure out if there can be just world-building elements, more or less, um, separated from narrative that are still kind of like Chekhov's gun, still have have that kind of nature, mm-hmm. and. It was hard for me to think about, but I was thinking, I don't know, the best idea I, I, I was trying to think about it was like, if, you know, just exploring the world, you come to this obelisk in the town. And it's basically like, you know, decoration fountain or whatever. In the next town, in the next country, you find like the artwork or the architecture of that all different architecture, except in the center, fountain again, is this identical obelisk. And you find out they're all over. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, wait, it keeps coming up. And you're like, wait a minute, what are these obelisks? And they're probably all connected by, by some kind of, I don't know, geo-powered, whatever the, whatever the heck, you know? Mm-hmm. But like something that is like already there and is already kind of existing before the narrative really takes off and it is just there to be discovered mm-hmm. without necessarily taking it down off the mantle and firing it and i think that's the be- that, that was kind of the closest thing i i could come up with well what were your thoughts on on, on this idea that that you kind of uh, you presented to us this is a really interesting question to me because i deal with it pretty regularly so um, I write oh, yeah. a series called Nova Terra and it takes place in a video game. And this video game has this huge backstory, right? That I've never told anybody except one person mm. verbally, right? I've never, I've never explained everything in the backstory yeah. to my readers. I am revealing pieces of it as we go because it's interesting Right. And I have mm-hmm. all of this stuff that's in this world for players to experience, but not for my main character to experience. 
because my main character does not experience every single thing in the world, just like an individual does not experience every single thing in the world. Right. right? So this idea that, that, that narrative is sort of intrinsically tied into world building is one that, that I don't fully, I don't fully accept yeah, and in, in, in a previous episode, yeah, we we t- we were here like narrative and can narrative be separated from world building? We found ourselves on kind of like opposite uh, ends yeah, of the fence bit. there. I I I I just said at least for the sake of argument that like no, it's impossible. You cannot separate world building from narrative. But you 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 did believe that there are some instances that they are just basically world building for world building's sake. You know that doesn't necessarily have a narrative. And I think that this is this is one of those cases because because okay. Chekhov's gun does a couple of things. Mm-hmm. If there is simply a gun on the mantle, it tells you things about the world. There is some sort of society that requires guns. Mm-hmm. Gunpowder has been developed. People have taken it beyond simply gunpowder and have gotten involved with metallurgy or some way to shape a barrel the engineering is advanced enough that they can make the mechanism for this gun, whatever that mechanism is, right? The gun on the mantle simply presents a huge amount of information. Now, I will say that where I think Chekhov is right is if your main character handles the item Mm -hmm. and it's not simply a set piece, it's not simply a piece of the background that's supposed to give you give the visitant information about the world, I think it's then important that it fires. Okay. Right? If in the first chapter, the rifle is hanging on the wall and the main character says, oh, that's my grandfather's rifle. He used it to defend the house against whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right? He used used that rifle to defend this house against werewolves. Well, there better be a silver bullet and the main character better pull the trigger. I see. Yeah. Right. So, so I think that that this Chekhov's gun principle really comes into it when your when your main character or your visitant is directly interacting with the item, or at the very least present. I think. Yeah. If somebody else is talking about it. Yeah. And your main character is present. Like if they they go into uh, whatever the inn or whatever and see this gun on the mantle. Uh, it's it's different from them later on than seeing it being used mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, them going on adventure and coming back and then just hearing about it in passing. Like, oh, they finally, you know, a werewolf came in and they finally got that silver gun and shot that one last civil bullet we have. Right. And, and it's, it's, I think that's almost worse. It's like, oh, not only did you... It was just kind of a hand know, wave at that this, point. ...this checkoff gum. Yeah, you set up the checkoff gun, but now we don't even... It's not that it hasn't been fired. It's just like we weren't even there to witness it. Right. You know, it feels like we got ripped off or the visitant got ripped off. Yeah, a little bit. At that point. And, and you know, I think, I think this actually... So again, tying this back to TTRPGs, where you have a group of people exploring a world... I think that you can do some really cool stuff with this. Yeah. If you have, let's take your example of the, of the um, obelisks, you know, okay. in the center of every town, there's an obelisk. Yeah. And in the first town that they go to, they see it. And one of them remarks on it. Right. And the next mm-hmm. town they go to, 
It's a different ar different architecture. Everything's different, different language, except the obelisk is the same, right? Mm -hmm. By repeatedly bringing it up or drawing attention to it, you are in some senses promising that there is something there, right? That is true. And yeah. so, and so, I think that's a really good way to to set up a. Again, we're we're talking about a a breadcrumb trail. Yeah. Right. Because mm -hmm. I know if I was playing a game, and if and if the GM was like, "Oh, there's an obelisk there, and there's an obelisk there," you better be, you better believe that I'm going to be going and researching my Tesla and figuring out how we're harnessing the geothermal energy and sending electrical <laughs> signals through the air, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. You better believe that, that as a player, I'm going to start saying, okay, how can, I, how can I use this to my advantage? I think you hit on basically the fundamentalists of Chekhov's gun because it's fundamentally about foreshadowing, which is in its basis, it's a promise, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. It is, I put these elements in here for a specific reason, mm -hmm. be it narrative or just, you know, part of the world. And there is going to be a bigger element down the line or more significant element or more interconnected element mm -hmm. down the line. Or this is going and to, in if, some way, shape or form, help you solve a problem. Yeah. And... If you do not deliver, you know, if you have all these obelisks there and they're not part of some interconnected history, if they're not right. how the world works at some point. Right. Or, the evil, kind of or the evil liches plan to turn all of these places into the kingdom of the undead. Yeah. If it's know. not part of something bigger, something, if there's no significance to them, why are you putting it there? It's almost a distraction then because then your visitant is always going to be thinking about that. Right. Well, and so this brings us to what I think from a world builder's point of view, whether you are writing, whether you are making a movie, whether you are um, making music, whether you are writing a TTRPG or building out a campaign for a TTRPG. I think this is one of the biggest pitfalls that world builders run into. And that is that the rule of cool gets us in trouble. Yeah. Hey, it's cool to have an obelisk in the middle of a, of a town. And it's right. cool to put another one in another town, right? Yeah. The rule of cool revolving around more flash than substance. Yeah. And so all of a mm -hmm. sudden you get yourself into a problem where you build something and the visitant says, oh, that's really cool well, it must now have significance, right? Because yeah. like you said, Chekhov's gun is sort of a promise, mm -hmm. right? You drew attention to it or they saw it and they said, oh, there must be something there. And when there's nothing there, when the curtain gets pulled back and it's just a short dude in a green outfit, mm -hmm. there's letdown. Yeah. When we find out that the wizard behind the curtain is just some dude, yeah. <laughs> there's some letdown. I was always let down when that dude just like, okay, you need a, you need a brain. Here's a diploma. And like, right. No, <laughs> he needed a brain. Oh, you needed a heart. Here's a pen of courage or medal of honor or whatever. Right. Like, what? I was expecting magic. 
yeah, yeah, all to the end. But I guess, but that's like subverting. It is. It's you know, the Wizard of Oz does subvert your expectation. But what's disappointing is there's actual magic. Yeah. Right. There's actual magic throughout the Wizard of Oz, and then they get to the end. That's right. And all these witches all of of good witches and bad witches, and all these fireballs and flying monkeys everywhere. Absolutely. And then you're telling me the Wizard of Oz isn't any of that, right? That's an interesting use of Chekhov's gun right there, mm-hmm. right? Because from the very beginning, from the very beginning, they're off to see the wizard and there's a promise that this wizard is going to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. And then the whole point of the story of the Wizard of Oz is that the, the solution is really in themselves, right? Right. The cowardly lion is actually courageous. The woodman does have a heart. He has compassion for people. Mm-hmm. And the scarecrow is is smart. He can come up with solutions for things, right? And mm-hmm. Dorothy can get herself home. Yeah. But I was always really disappointed. <laughs> I guess the true Chekhov's gun was that was the uh, silver slash ruby slippers. Depending yeah. You're... Absolutely. So the ruby slippers, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. They're given to her as magic. And then mm-hmm. they end up being the key mm-hmm. to all of it. Yeah. And they're just there for for the ride. Yeah. Do you feel like that's a bit of a a cop out? Do you feel like that would let players down if this was a TTRPG? Well, I guess it depends. I mean, if if they weren't like upfront, like oh, um, like here's your badge of honor. You earned these. You know, even if you. Uh, didn't mean to defeat the witch, but here's your badge of honor. They're mm-hmm. magical. They protect you. And then don't mention that they can teleport your home to the very end. <laughs> On paper, sounds like it, it's a little disappointing, but I think it was like, if they weren't magical and there was no way that she... I think the main thing is like, if they didn't say that they were magical and you're just like, wait, you're telling me all this time yeah, <laughs> these shoes yeah, are magical. Yeah. I thought they just looked nice. Right. Know? Yeah, then that that would be like, that will go into like Deus Ex Machina and stuff like that. Because they already established the slippers were important. You know? that's, they, that's a good point. They do a good job paying attention. If they didn't, and then all of a sudden, blah, hey, right. these shoes are actually super important. Isn't that, that why the, the Wicked Witch of the West comes after her for the ruby slippers. But because she's wearing them, she couldn't really do much. So I, th- I think that, that it's probably more about delivery yeah. than about the actual device. And that's probably true for Chekhov's gun in general, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to set something up in the beginning, then the way you deliver the surprise or the way you deliver the twist or the way you deliver the gun being fired probably yeah, becomes yeah. more important than the actual object itself. And I think another key thing is the timing of when it's fired. Because specifically in his quote, it appears in one chapter and in the next or the, the chapter after right. it'll get fired. So there is there is like a cook time. So because if there's zero cook time, it's a deus ex machina. Yeah. And again, we're talking about somebody who is writing short stories, right? So, so, these are not super long, right? But mm-hmm. you're right. So he's sort of saying, if you introduce it in the beginning, it should come into play in the middle, right? Or yeah. if you introduce it in the middle, it should come into play at the end. 
Yeah. And that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting concept. As far as as far as tying this back to world building, I do mm-hmm. think that the idea of of foreshadowing is really helpful if you're planning on having a set narrative. I think that if you are not planning on having a set narrative, that you don't necessarily need to fire the gun. Because again, mm-hmm. not everything in a world is experienced by every person. Mm-hmm. Right, so you can have an obelisk that the villagers have grown up next to for generations, and there's no there's no impact except that it's a thing in their world. Hmm. But somebody who's walking through and visiting multiple countries or seeing many different villages and noticing all of the obelisks is going to all of a sudden say, "Oh, wait, maybe there's more. There's more here." Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap it up here. Thank you, folks, for joining us for this little discussion about Chekhov's gun whether this narrative device can be used for world building. Once again, we are trying a little bit of a different format with these episodes. So let us know how you feel about them. If you have topics that you'd like us to discuss, uh, definitely kick them to us. Join us on Facebook. Join us on Patreon. Check out all our cool stuff. Merch in the links below. Actually, that's a lie. We don't have merch yet. But if you have cool ideas for merch, let us know and we'll make some. All right, Marcus, thank you for joining me for this discussion. It's always a pleasure. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining the Worldcraft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the Worldcraft Club podcast. Thank you for listening.